Hello and welcome to Brain Trust Live number 482. This week on the podcast, the Brain Trust Live 2023 Super Bowl, i.e. election day, is this Tuesday. Plus, polls reveal that Biden is not just too old, he's also bad at his job. And this week we find out if Donald Trump actually loves Eric. Plus, the George Santos expulsion vote failed, and thank God for that. And Mike Johnson is committing tax fraud. Ask us how we know. We'll have all this and more. This is Brain Trust Live. Hey y'all, I'm Brent. I'm Lila, and you can find us on the web at www.braintrustlive.com. Ooh, we got elections this week. It is election real day life this week. elections, like in the real way. Yeah. Um, we have actually. I mean, listen, we've talked a little bit, like a few weeks ago, maybe even months ago, about the upcoming Virginia uh, statewide races. Right. I think we've only talked about it sort of like, but offhand, in reference to whether Glenn Youngkin will use the results to launch his presidential campaign. Exactly. Um, but those races are happening, and a bunch of other races are happening as well. And we are going to talk you through some of the things to look out for on Election Day night, which is like our Super Bowl night. <laughs> yeah. Like imagine the excitement that you experience watching a major nationalized, a national televised event mm-hmm. that has to do with sports. Yeah. And then imagine how much sports and elections are the same. And then also imagine that they're... Right. Which is why you should like sports. It's, I guess. I feel, I feel like the problem... Gotcha. <laughs> the problem with sports is that you don't... With elections, there's no there there. You don't have to pay attention to anything in order to get the numbers changing. Like, if I could just watch sports and it was like, the Bears are up seven points and then they're down or whatever. I don't even mm-hmm. know what sport the Bears play. But, the, but if I could just watch it as a numbers game, I think I'd be happier. I think Fair I'd, enough. I think I wouldn't mind the math right. of sports. I don't like having to watch the actual sports. Right. They're mean to each other in football. They hit each yeah. other. And you don't want to learn the rules either. Oh, certainly not. I hate learning <laughs> rules. That's, yeah. And election rules I already know a lot of, so it's yeah, like, sure. pretty simple, you know? Yeah. Um, but so we have, first of all, New York City Council elections oh, sure. on Tuesday. And That's I feel like a lot of people that. don't know that. I haven't really heard that many people talking about these. And I've also heard a lot of public officials in New York City bemoaning the fact that turnout is quite low so far. They actually Mm. have early voting now in New York. So turnout might be low because no one knows about the early voting. But (laughs) they have early voting. You can vote now and you can vote until Tuesday. And if you haven't voted by Tuesday, you should vote on Tuesday. But uh, New York City Council races are especially important this year, given that the mayor is an asshat. Right. And you're going to want to have a check on him. He already has too much power anyway, right? He has too much power anyway. And the city council in New York has, because of some changes in the regulations there, gotten more exciting. You know, they mm. instituted term limits and some other things that okay. made it so that there are many more fresh faces that come into Got the okay. city council every year. And that's pretty exciting. And they can also go balls to the wall while they're there if they don't they have to worry about... they can go balls to the wall. And yeah. so they have been going balls to the wall. So the city council is actually pretty exciting that's in New fun. York. And you have the opportunity to make it even more exciting because you get to vote in a city council election. Yeah. And in doing that, you get to know that you have the opportunity to stick it to Eric Adams, that's which right. is always fun. Yeah. Um, but let's talk for a second about Virginia. Let's do it. The Virginia, so this is not a gubernatorial year in Virginia. So right. this is just the uh, House of Delegates and the State yeah. Senate. Um, as we talk about all the time, these are always kind of like a bellwether for the congressional, um, for, for the next year's congressional outlook. Yes. And in some, to some extent, also the presidential race when right. it's a presidential year. So a lot of what we're looking to track here is just like trends. Right. Um, and we're. And it's always very close there, the House of Delegates. It's always very right. close and there. The yeah. Yes. And it's a good proxy for the rest of America, which is why we enjoy tracking it. Yeah. 
This year, we're basically waiting to see whether Glenn Youngkin's allies are able to make up further ground or whether they're going to lose ground. Right. So the main thing that we're keeping an eye on is people who have allied themselves with the governor, what happens in their in their races. And there are a few districts that um, that where this race is like particularly relevant. Like I think the 16th has a kind of exciting race going on there. Um, but essentially, they right now... so. You might remember the time that they ended up with Democratic majorities in every chamber right. in Virginia. Not, not so long not ago. Not so long ago. And it was it an exciting the, time. It was the first time that it had ever happened. It was, right? I or think, for, in something I mean, like, well, no, I think what something. it was, it was the first time that it had happened in like 25 years or something like that. But because <laughs> 25 sounds long until you're like thinking about how many elections there are in 25 years. And actually, yeah, it didn't seem that long right, sure. in retrospect. But it was the first time in quite a while right. that there had been Democratic majorities in every chamber. So the Republicans now have the House of Delegates. Yes. The Republicans in that Yunkin year, you know, because the year that they won every chamber, they also won the governorship. Yes. Um, but now, so in, in the Glenn Yunkin year, the Republicans made up some ground. They hold a 52 to 48 majority in the House of Delegates. Yep. The Democrats still hold a majority in the state Senate, 22 to 17. Um, that's There's what a, he's hoping that if he can flip, he can be like, look at me. It's a exactly. blue state. Now we have a Republican governor and the entire state house is also red. Exactly. Right. So they're looking for a narrative there. Yeah. And what would be fun is for us to not give them that narrative right. there. So that's an idea that you should <laughs> right. try to run with. Um, one, There's also one kind of amazing scandal of mm. note, though, that I feel like is not relevant insofar as it has anything to do with this narrative about Glenn Youngkin. It does in the sense that a Republican winning the seat would further prove that Glenn Youngkin, you know, is, yeah. is his allies are doing well. But this is actually a scandal with the Democratic nominee who um, revealed back in September that she had had sex with her husband on a live streaming porn site. Yeah. Um, and so the Republican Party has really like run with this story, yep. including those sending like censored photos of her and her husband in their mailers. And so... I think given the... For a party that doesn't want to want show you anyone, photos of sex so much. So bad. Because Marjorie Taylor Greene did the same thing Constantly trying to show us naked photos of Congress. Hunter Biden. Like, I don't right. need to see naked photos of I Hunter know. Biden. I've never wanted to in my life. Right. And I certainly don't want to see they want to Susanna porn, Gibson and her husband. they also want to put it directly into your eyeballs. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's a classic Republican move. I think it will be interesting because given how um, high, high drama some of the scandals of the presidential race this you know, in the last few years have been with Donald Trump being involved and also just like some of the wild sort of like yeah. scandals Republicans themselves have been involved yeah. in. I'm sort of, everyone's sort of looking to see uh, how this race shakes out, whether this sex scandal actually means anything and if it does, who it kind of favors because it's actually not clear. <clears throat> I think I know. I think it's also really fascinating because I think that this is probably going to be an early type of this race where yeah. like, I, I mean... Whether it's a sex scandal or, like, being filmed having sex with someone, like, we're definitely entering a time period where the people who are going to be running for office are people who have been completely shameless on the internet. Exactly. Yeah. This <laughs> and I'm is not gonna... even saying this is shameless. Like, I don't care. Right. I personally. don't have shame for her. I don't <laughs> no. care if this uh, is what she wants to do. Yeah. But, but I mean, do you know what I mean? Of, in terms sort of a like, messaging problem right. and that for is campaigns. Sort of, I feel like that's quite literally a hallmark of, like... Mm -hmm this generation is that like they don't they they will put anything online and you can think what you think about that but like that's the world in which we live in yeah. and at, at some point those people are going to be like maybe I should run for office well and I think we're going to have to sort of <clears throat> figure out a distinction between people who are sort of in in hypocritical ways hiding their activities and for people sure. who just have like sort of shamelessly put out right. you know porn on the internet like if that's 
if if this candidate wants to have sex with her husband on a porn site and is not lying to anyone about you know <laughs> right. who she is and what she does, then like is that going to be a consideration that we are we going to make are we going to consider that in the same way that we might consider somebody who is like lying about who they're having sex with, but also right. legislating to criminalize the activities they're engaging right. in? Because I think it's hard for voters to make that distinction in the first few tries. Yes. In the first few rounds, because it all sounds scandalous. Yeah. Because we're just not used to hearing about politicians having yeah. sex because nobody wants to think about politicians having right. sex. But I feel like we're going to have to start grappling with, like, yeah. what is it about sex scandals that actually scandalizes right. us? Right, exactly. Because I think everybody is, we started thinking about this, I think, with the whole Katie Hill mm-hmm. situation, which I think a lot of people wish she would just still be in Congress right, right. now. <laughs> um, but, I mean, there were other things going on there yeah, with, like, yeah. staffers and things like that that she probably just shouldn't have been doing. But, like, you know, I I've, this is sort of, like, I, I we're... You know, and she's our age. Too. She's our age, so, I exactly. mean, like, I think that, and like, we're the very we're di- cusp of where that changes because we For are sure. the Facebook generation. Yeah. So, like, this is the moment yeah. people. This is the OnlyFans generation. This is the now. only exactly. <laughs> but we're like we're the we're the beginning of the end of that kind of privacy. Yeah. You know, we're the first people who don't have it, so it's yeah. going to be an uncharted territory. Yeah. And these things are going to come up, and um, it's going to be interesting to see how voters deal with them. Yeah. So There's, definitely keep your eye on Virginia. Yes, keep your eye on Virginia. Not it's just gonna for the sex scandal. It's going to have a lot of repercussions. But just broadly Presidential speaking. and also everybody's going to be reading way too much into it. So exactly. like you're going to be hearing about those elections for some time. So, you know, Whether they matter or not. Learn about them now. Exactly. Um, there's, it's also a gubernatorial <clears throat> year in Kentucky. Yeah, another um, interesting one. That's an interesting race. Well, and you may recall that four years ago, a Democrat won the state, you know, won the governorship right. in Kentucky, Andy the Beshears. Beshears. They're, they're, they're like the a dynasty. There. They're right. They're <laughs> Kentucky governors. That's who that's what right. that's who they are and what they do. Yeah. Um so this is both an incumbent candidate, also kind of a dynasty candidate. Yeah. And he's pretty popular. Well there. liked. Yeah. yeah. And this is kind of interesting. He you know, in his twenty nineteen race, he only just barely won. It was a very close race that he won, yeah. I think, in a recount. When I just looked at the latest polls on real clear politics, and I think the average was like forty nine to forty eight. So yeah. I mean it's gonna be close. It's gonna be again, close no matter what. Probably. Um yeah. but it's interesting insofar as his opponent, Daniel Cameron, um, is the state attorney general and has been desperately trying to tie Andy Bashir to Biden. And it's really going to be sort of a test of whether that strategy right. is going to work. Right, because that's going to be obviously the national strategy. Exactly. And Andy Bashir and Joe Biden are not really that tied to no. each other. They're just two people who are Democrats. They're not, they have, yeah. you know, that. Um, and, and I think, you know, Andy Bashir maybe has the pedigree to overcome that comparison because yeah. he's from this dynasty of you right. know Kentucky politics but that's what we're looking to see how that shakes out in Kentucky if you know this is a state that you know Trump won by a zillion points oh, but yeah. it's I also think it was like 66 to 34 yeah, it's he has like he I mean, has I think huge. a double digit yeah. lead in Kentucky or had a double digit lead in Kentucky but also Andy Bashir polls well there and is well liked there and so yeah. you know Kentucky voters are confusing people they're the kind of people they really who give you Rand Paul. They're the kind of people who give you, you know. Didn't weren't they one of the states that had um, abortion on the ballot in in the, yeah, the last so. election year? Yeah. I'm almost certain that they yeah. were. No, I mean, which could be honestly why Bashir is well liked. Yeah, I probably. Um, and speaking of that. of that, the other state that we're going to be looking at in that vague Rust Belty region is Ohio, because yep. issue one is going to be on the ballot, and that's you know the question of whether to establish a right to an abortion in that state or yep. in their state constitution, and that. This is such an interesting situation because this is a state where, you know, we are, you might think this vote had already happened because back in August, there was that vote that would have established a 60 point threshold to amend the state constitution that was very much geared towards preventing this vote from passing. Yes. And that vote failed. It failed. 
Um, and but it failed fifty-seven to forty-three. So we're still. I mean, it failed by a pretty yeah. large margin because people are often like, don't make things less democratic. It's hard to get people yeah. to vote for things to be more democratic. But that whole vote was framed around this issue. It was. So we assume that, you know, A, this is an issue that probably has an eight or nine point lead anyway in yeah. um, in Ohio. And also, you know, that's confusing. Trump won Ohio by eight points. It's a state right. that seems to swing wildly in eight point directions yeah. as much as it wants. But the other thing that's interesting about this race is that Ohio has a trigger law. So Ohioans are voting to protect the right to an abortion in their state constitution but they also have a law that says that if abortion is outlawed um, or if abortion becomes illegal nationally, that it immediately becomes illegal in Ohio. Ah, oh, geez. Like they have both extremes right now. Wild. Going on in Ohio. Yeah. So and it's one of the strictest trigger laws in the country. So like if abortion can be outlawed, it's going to be outlawed in Ohio, except for that they might protect it in the state constitution. Hmm. And that's maybe why they've had to protect it in the state constitution. That's why they've maybe approached this this way. But, you know, like we saw in Kansas, like we saw in some, you know, in some other states like Kentucky in the last uh, few years, we're going to be letting Ohioans, another swing state, vote on this issue. And I think, listen, currently it looks like it's going to pass. We don't know what happens on Election Day with these kinds of votes. It's very hard to pull propositions. That said... I would be pretty shocked if it failed. Same. And I also think that it will help build a case that maybe like just broadly nationally banning abortion access is not a popular thing to do. Yeah. Which because the states that are voting on this, it's not like no one's reporting that like California has done this and nobody cares no, about that. Yeah. But but in when states like Ohio that are battleground states where they're going to have to be doing heavy campaigning in presidential years start, you know, indicating that they very much do want the right to an abortion in that state. Yeah. Like, we're going to have to think about national strategy, and not just we, but Republicans mostly, yeah. you're going to have to think about their national strategy in light of that information. So yeah. that will be an interesting race, and you should definitely keep your eye on that. Mississippi has, has a governor's race. Right. The thing that has most stood out to me about this race is that um, Brandon Presley, who's the Democratic candidate, is a distant cousin of Elvis's. <laughs> sure. Why not? That's not the most important thing to know about this race, no. but it is a thing that I, mean, I remember. But it might be. <laughs> The real question in this Mississippi race is what are Democrats doing to uh, get black voters to the polls? Because this is a state where 40 percent of the voters in the state are black. Right. And Democrats have historically just like failed to in any way inspire them to show up to vote for them in gubernatorial races. And to the point where it has because you're probably thinking, why are these idiots talking about a statewide Mississippi election? Because you're probably thinking that, well, that is just a Republican state. And it is. But it wouldn't be. If right. they could get, if they could turn out the vote, I think this yeah. the Tate Reeves I think won like fifty two to forty seven. Yeah, it's not in his. It's not a blowout no. there. If you could get a nominee who maybe wasn't potentially terrible, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Anything, I don't know anything about. Well, Brandon and it's Presley, also. I mean, like, it's a it's a good indication of where Democrats stand with Black voters who well, in the South are a huge in, and very important voting block for them. But also, we're gonna talk routinely, in a few minutes about some polls that, exactly, that are that, pretty that dire are about them concerning yeah. um but this is a state that probably could be at least a toss-up state if, yeah. if 40 percent of the voters are black voters i mean states in the south are electing to De- louisiana exactly. uh, elects democrats statewide every now and again yeah uh, we like, know georgia no, is right i mean there's no reason why mississippi couldn't, Alabama? couldn't put together a coalition to elect somebody statewide exactly and the fact that they failed to is really, I think, a failure of strategy more than a failure of, you know, a political failure that is uh, yeah. th- that is just sort of like inevitable. Yeah. Um. So and listen, a lot of Democratic parties in Republican states are stupid. I was going to say, yeah, it's a famous problem. Yeah. Um. But that's something that I think 
you know, now that we're focusing on it, and it seems like Brandon Presley has been focusing on yeah. this issue. Well, I think because we'll it was, right, I was going to say, because it, because the turnout was so bad in the last election, which ended up being close, they've focused on it in this election. But yeah, yeah we'll, we'll also, just have to see. Also, a write-up of this race had this sentence, and I want you to tell me if you know anything about it. Reeves, the Republican candidate, who's the governor, um, has some baggage, including the welfare funding scandal that's also ensnared Hall of Fame quarterback Brett Favre. Yes, I feel like we did actually maybe did talk, talk about, about that at one point. Yes, and now I most certainly cannot remember the details, but it was a thing. It was like a national story Brett for Favre a hot minute. is involved in a welfare funding scandal in yeah. Mississippi. Yeah, and I know about it, but I don't know about it. Yeah, Same. wild. Yeah, what a wild time. <laughs> That's too many things happening. Too many things happening. Um, there's a few other interesting races. There's uh, a, a state Supreme Court vote in Pennsylvania that's kind of, it's the the first statewide partisan race since the 2022 midterms. So it might be a good early bellwether right. of how Pennsylvanians are feeling. Right. It's it not, won't change the makeup of the court. No, it has nothing to do with the outcome of the actual race. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're just looking for bellwethers here. Yeah. Um, the New Jersey State House is also up for you know, election on Tuesday. Sure. So if you're in New Jersey, remember to vote. Well, and you'll remember the, the the gubernatorial election in New Jersey was shockingly close the last time. Right. Remember that? Yes. That right. Everybody was scared that um, yeah. a Phil Murphy was going to was going to lose. Yeah. Um, out of seemingly nowhere. Out of no. Well, and I feel like part of it is that especially in off cycle election states like Virginia really like gets all the attention. New Jersey, much like New York State, has one of the dumber Democratic parties out there. Oh, Just like sure. lazy corrupt assholes, which is why Bob Menendez Bob, is in office. Just about to, right. So the fact that they couldn't pull out a clear, easy win in a Democratic state for governor is not a surprise. And also, that's why you should remember to vote in New Jersey on Tuesday. Don't trust the party to tell you what to do. No. They don't know anything. No, just get out um, There's also one interesting special election, uh, that Rhode Island congressional seat for David Ciceline. Um, yes. That race is not interesting in any way other than, A, he left office for just like the shittiest of reasons. He just got another job and was like, fuck it, I'm leaving. There was, I had a friend who was a staffer of his who was just like, what? Is, why did I, I just lost my job out of nowhere mid, in the middle of a term? Outrageous. Oh my God. So that's annoying. Um, and then we're sort of curious, just generally Democrats wildly overperform in this kind of situation. So we're just curious to see if that happens yeah. or if people are just like, fuck the Democrats. So yeah. this is the kind of race where if we don't see a massive overperformance, we'll be disappointed. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, <sighs> you guys, we have some bleak news <laughs> coming up. Yeah. I want to preface this story, though, with a reminder to everyone <laughs> that polls are an indication of how well you, the candidate, is messaging. They are not an indication that voters are dumb and don't listen. If voters are not listening to you, you're not messaging right. Sorry yeah. about it. So. Sure. I say this because the numbers we're about to discuss are bleak, and I am heading off any would-be vote blue no matter who Democrats who want to say to us that it's because voters are dumb. Oh, yeah, voters right. are not dumb. Voters are no. just voters. They they have no moral authority whatsoever. They have no moral weight whatsoever. They are just they are just the mass of people that are either hearing or not hearing your message. If they're not <laughs> hearing your message, that's on you. If they are hearing your message, that's also on you and great work. But like, <laughs> yeah. Whatever you think about what these polls mean and what it means about people not knowing or knowing stuff, just remember to yourself that if you are the candidate or you are a proxy for the candidate or you have anything to do with a candidate, it's the candidate's job to sell us. Yeah. It's not our job to be sold. Right. And and also, if you're the type of person where, you know, people are saying <laughs> that the, you know, in these polls that the economy is bad, 
Right. And you, your response is, well, they just don't know that the economy is good. Like, why don't they know? That's, that's not, th- not to dispute your previous point. That's <laughs> not necessarily a messaging point. That's a, that's a you being an idiot point. Yes. Because sometimes, and we were talking about this yes. earlier, you know, economic indicators might be great. Well, the economy's fake. Whatever, whatever rates people are looking at, whatever right. this or that or the other thing. And I'm sure that's what Biden is going to go out and going to yeah. explain to everyone about all of the different things with the treasury rates and whatever the fuck it is right. that he's going to say. But if you're a person who can't afford their groceries, then they don't want to know about Joe Biden's economic indicators. No. And also, this is still... To some extent, a messaging issue. I was talking about this. Well, with no, my, it, I mean no, it is. But yeah. I was talking about this with my dad, and I was talking. He was like, you know, inflation was bad under Trump too, and people weren't talking about it. And then Biden came up, and everyone made a big deal about it. And now we're all talking about inflation as if inflation hasn't been bad this whole time, and that's true. Also, there's a reason that we're talking about it now and not then, and it's because someone messaged on messaged on it. So right. part of it is that you know even things that seem like they are continuous or you know at least have some continuity from the last presidential term and also maybe the fault of somebody else. Yeah. If everyone starts noticing them under you, then they are your problem. And I'm sad. I'm sorry about that. I don't, that's not fair, but that's life. So like, it doesn't matter that maybe the price of eggs was going up at the same rate when, you know, Obama or Trump or whoever was president. It doesn't matter who. And now it's also going up at a high rate. If I just started thinking about the price of eggs yesterday, then it's Biden's fault in the public imagination. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, it's, right. it's, yeah. it's his problem now. So I think a lot of the time Democrats will do this thing and Republicans do this too, but they're immature. So th- they would do this. Yeah. But Democrats will do this thing where they'll be like, but yeah, but that's like, that's been happening the whole time. You just haven't been paying attention. Right. Uh-huh. And it's like, if people haven't been paying attention, then, <laughs> right. and they are now, someone who is your opponent effectively messaged <laughs> and it is now your job to message. Yeah. It's still a messaging job. Like, even if it's not fair that that's how the messaging well, you and know, they say that fell. they think that they can... Well, let's talk about the numbers. Let's talk about the numbers. <clears throat> because this is a, a huge poll. It's from the New York Times. Right. And who was it? Sienna or Sienna, something like yeah. that. You know, a reputable polling firm. And they polled, you know, six of the biggest, you know, uh, swing states. Right. And these are all states that Biden carried in 2020. Yes. That's important context. Yeah. And he is only winning one of those six and it's by a razor margin, and it's in Wisconsin. Yeah. And remember that when we talk to you about the racial breakup of some of these states. Right. Because that's the only one that he's winning, and it's the whitest one. That's right. And this is, we're, some of these other states, so he's winning in Wisconsin by two points in this poll. Yeah. He's losing Nevada by 10. Yeah. You know, he's losing Georgia by six. He's losing Arizona and Michigan and Pen- uh, Michigan by five, Pennsylvania by four. Like, the the slimmest margin in this race is or in these polls, is the one he's winning Wisconsin by. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. This is wild because everybody <clears throat> hates both Trump and Biden. They are both equally unpopular. I know. It's... But the the problem for Biden is is that he is... The president. The president right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's that, you know. Brick throwing is how Donald Trump gets elected. Sure. That's how he got elected last time. Yeah. And that's how he's going to get elected I mean, I'm this not, time. Some of these elected. I'm not super shocked at. I, 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 and a lot of people, this isn't a thing that I invented, but like, I think most people felt like the Georgia election was probably a little bit of an anomaly and it was like obviously razor thin and it was like super like anti-Trump and like both of those senators barely got in. I'm imagining a world in four years where they don't have any Democratic senators and they're back to electing Republicans. And I think a lot of folks were sort of maybe, maybe to a lesser degree, but 
thought similar things about Arizona. Yeah. So, like, those two don't surprise me. The Nevada 10 and the Michigan and Pennsylvania surprise me a little bit. But I'm, like, uh, but I'm not shocked because, like, everybody hates Biden. And so do I. He's a piece of shit. Right. (laughs) Like, you're not going to, if you've come to this podcast for me to stick up for Joe Biden, then you've most certainly come to the wrong place and have not been listening to this podcast for the last 12, 13, 14 years, however long we've been doing it. I don't know. I think it's been 12. (laughs) Uh, but th- that's dark, yeah. friends. It's dark. Well, and also, and when wh- you dig into it, like sometimes you'll see a poll and you're like, "Oh, you're down ten percent," but like you know, there's a lot of people who are like, "I'm I could be swayed," or this or that or whatever. But like things only get worse when you dive deeper that's into right. the numbers. Like it doesn't, I, there's there's no positive outlook in any. Of this. I do want to also point out that especially in states like Nevada and Michigan. These are states where historically populist messaging has done really well. That's why Sanders did really well in these states. Well, they're big union They're places. big union states. And so when you think to yourself about what Biden is doing now and could be doing to appeal to people in these states, yeah. it's none of the things he is currently doing. <clears throat> not, it's, not breaking strikes could be right, one of them. Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> there, are, there are ways in which Democrats should be thinking about how to message in these states that are different than how they message to states with just like wealthy vote blue no matter who voters. Yeah. And I feel like Biden is not doing himself any favors currently and has not been for a while at this point um, with voters like this, but also that Democrats are hesitant to even acknowledge that this is one of the one of the consistent reasons that Trump does well in places like this is the style of his messaging. Yeah. Is the style of messaging yeah. that Voters are responsive to in yeah. places like Nevada. Sorry about yeah. it. I, there's no moral weight to populist messaging. It's you can message good ideas and bad ideas in a populist way. You like I yeah. think that there's this sense that like because that's goal focused messaging instead of like minutia focused messaging that it's dumber. It's not. Yeah. But like I feel like Democrats are like often like unwilling to acknowledge that like some of the hallmarks of Trump's messaging resonate in these states for reasons that have nothing to do with his ideas. Oh, yeah. And they're not even trying. Anyway, that's a side conversation yeah. for me to have. But just because Nevada has the biggest gap here, I'm yeah. worried about it. Let's talk about the so, some of these other numbers. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> 71% think he's too old. He's too old. He's too old. It's an established and, fact and that's by the, and, that's, and that's the thing that I think, you know, when, when you talk to sort of like supposedly like Democratic strategists or whatever, and you ask them about these polls, what they will say is that they're going to be able to change some of these numbers as they go out and they start to message them, right? right? Yeah, they're yeah. going to go out. They're going to go out on the campaign trail. They're going to talk to voters. They're going to do this, that. They're going to be out heavy with uh, uh, commercials on air. They're going to be doing all of these things. Right. You can't, you can't turn this around. Like he, yeah. he. He's not going to get younger. And I'll tell you what he's not going to do. He's not going to prove to people that he has the, quote, mental sharpness to be effective by going out of the campaign trail. No, and 62% already think he doesn't have that. Already think he doesn't have that. I would contend that that number only grows the more that he's on television cameras. And that means that this is, in this case, his only hope is that Donald Trump, who has also started to show some signs of aging, (laughs) um, shows them faster. And while Trump is an unhealthy guy... And yeah. we know that. And also didn't have the mental acuity to begin with. Um, <laughs> I also don't think that the, only 19% of supporters of Trump think that he is too old. And only 39% of the electorate overall think he is too old. He is 77. He is not a young man. But the fact that in those in that five-year, you know, range, like, the numbers are that different, I think is an indication that, like, 
Biden has passed over some sort of threshold. <laughs> right. You know? Yes. I, like, if right, we yeah. are thinking that a 77-year-old is, like, perfectly fine to be is the president. 80? Right. It's like, <laughs> but, like, you know, but, but you know, the 80s or whatever it is. The yeah. fact that so many people think that Biden is too old and people don't even realize that Trump is equally as old is a problem for Biden because you can't come, All that can happen is they can both be too old. Right. Trump can be making him look older, even yeah. though Trump himself is looking old. Yeah. And Donald Trump seeming like the younger candidate and also falling apart on the trail only makes Biden look less effective. It does not make him, by contrast, look better. Yeah, I they, know. they just make each other look worse in this yeah. category. This is brutal also because voters across all income levels felt that Biden's policies had hurt them personally while they credited Trump's policies yeah. for helping them. And the gap was huge. huge. It was like a 17 point advantage for having helped them in favor of Trump yeah. and an 18 point disadvantage for having hurt them for for Biden. And like this that, is the number that worries me the most. I know. And again, I just sort of like that's going to be something where Democrats are like, well, people just don't know. Yeah, but like, they don't. This is, and they don't. But here's the other thing, though, Or too. did you not help them? <clears throat> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> and this is like, listen, I understand all of the rebuttals to this. Yeah. But like, you know, if you're a person who has student loans and you pay vague amount of attention to politics, you know that they got shut off during Trump and turned back on during Biden. You know that you got more direct payments from mm-hmm. Trump than you did Biden. And you also know that Biden didn't even come through on the payments that he promised. Right. Remember, he sent mm-hmm. out the they sent out the down payments and then they counted that as the remember that whole yep. thing where oh, they yeah. were supposed to send <laughs> oh, out. Do I remember they it. were supposed to send out two thousand dollars, but they had sent out six hundred dollars so at once. So then they, they only sent the balance at that point. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I, I just that's reality for yeah. people and. And people's checkbooks and what people owe on hundreds of thousand dollars worth of loans right now. And so, like, while I will give you that, like, there are probably things that are a lot better for people. And, like, maybe those are things that Biden can convince them of. Like, there's some reality here that I can't – what I'm saying is I don't begrudge these people for thinking. No. I also think – and I know that this is – this is something that I complained about at the time, and it's something I'm going to keep complaining about, which is the messaging of one-time tax cuts is more effective than the messaging of fiscal responsibility, and Democrats have never figured out how to combat that. You know, And so what the impression that everyone has is that they got a tax cut under Trump, cut. even right. though th- that was not meaningfully a long-term thing, and their taxes went up in the long I was going to say, they've been going up. Exactly. Yeah. But that sounds like a Biden problem. Yeah. Because they went up, they went up when Biden was the president, yeah. and they went down when Trump was the president. And I, we knew how <clears throat> dumb that was at the time, but that's why he did it. And then on top of that, there's the fact that the Democrats made a big deal about going and funding IRS agents to go after people who weren't like the, to expand the IRS. Oh yeah. Another thing that I understand why it was important. I'm not arguing that wasn't important. I'm also arguing that from a messaging standpoint, the messaging of Trump lowered my taxes and Biden hired IRS agents (laughs) made it seem like they were coming after you, the little guy, because everyone knows the big guys aren't going to get taken down. So hiring IRS agents implicitly sounds like a threat to the little guy. Sorry about it. That's not fair, but that's life. But I just think there was no attempt to kind of combat that messaging that worked. And so instead, you have a lot of people remembering the one-time tax cut under Donald Trump that Mm -hmm. was stupid and was only a one-year thing. And then their taxes went up under Biden, even though that was from the Trump tax tax cut. But that's not how blame works. And then (laughs) on top of that, you have... Biden going around talking about how he's going to hire all these IRS agents, which mm-hmm. gives the impression that he wants to charge you more taxes, even though that's not the thing. Right. And it would be one thing if we were getting stuff for this taxes. 
you know, for these taxes. I know. But because we didn't get all, you know, because the child tax credit had to end and the direct payments had to end and all these things ended while we were busy, you know, seeing our taxes go up under Biden and also seeing that he's going to hire all these IRS agents to make sure we pay our taxes, you know, our correct taxes. It just created this like larger impression that we're just like paying into an abyss and Biden is the one who's upped those payments. Uh, And I know there was there was a way to combat that with messaging that had to do with what the IRS agents were for and also had to do with going to the bat going to bat for us for some of these direct payments thing you know for the child tax credit for things like that with him not just lecturing us about how it's fiscally irresponsible to keep those kind of payments going but lecturing society about how if we paid our taxes we could have these things always yeah um and they chose to message the republican way around these issues Mm -hmm. and so of course everyone feels like their finances were better under trump yeah. Because they got direct payments from the government under Donald Trump because we were in a national, uh, international emergency. Yeah. And then Joe Biden came in and told us that we all had to suck it up, pay, you know, go back to the way things were. But di- didn't we didn't learn anything or gain anything in the process. Yeah. In any case, I'm just saying they've oh, yeah. not messaged. They couldn't message their way out of a paper bag on this issue. And they were given the opportunity to. Yeah. Um, really? Yeah. So on the economy, voters gave Trump a 59% a 59 to 37 margin on Whoa. who they better trusted. Are Grim. you guys serious? <laughs> like that's how badly that we're messaging on the economy which Biden is going around naming after himself and talking about how great it is. I know. Like part of the reason that people are not buying it is cuz it doesn't feel great right now. <laughs> I know, that's the thi- I it, know. It just doesn't feel great to be a regular person in society. I Maybe know. it feels great if you're like trying to refinance your home or something that I don't have any way of knowing about. But it especially feel great if you're I bet to do yeah, that. <laughs> but like especially if you're a younger voter where like some of the things that work as economic indicators in, you know, in sort of Biden level math don't ever trickle down to right, you they because don't you have you. I've, home rates have literally nothing to do with me because <laughs> I'm never going to own a home. Yeah. Like that's the reality of a lot of millennials, it's the reality of most of Gen Z. So like the the sort of discussion about interest rates is yeah. kind of meaningless to me. Even though so like if if interest rates go down or up or whatever, that's not an economic indicator that most Americans are like feeling yeah. when they're I mean, it's an, in, an indicator that some Americans are feeling, but a, yeah. a growing majority of Americans are not feeling the indicators that they used to feel, yeah. is my point. Uh, less than 1% of respondents under 30 rated the economy as excellent, including 0% yeah. in three of those states that they polled, which was Arizona, Nevada, and Wisconsin. Yeah. And this is, the voters under 30 turning on Biden is, because listen. It's curtains, if it's that happens. curtains. <laughs> That's a huge generation. And... It doesn't even matter if they don't vote for Trump. If they don't vote at all, that's where we get fucked. Well, that's what I... And look, again, I'm not the only one saying this, but if I had to put my money on anything at Vegas right now, it wouldn't be picking one or two of these. It would be putting a lot of money and going all in on this being a historically low turnout. Yes, exactly. Exactly, yeah. Because I think that there are people from every single demographic who have no intention of voting for either of these two people. That's right. And who would rather just forget about all of this? This is so unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know. Yeah. This is the, this is the real the the sophiest of choices. <laughs> just there's and there's there's nothing to look forward to in these no. in, with any of these guys. No. But okay. So other terrible numbers. Uh, voters preferred Trump over Biden on immigration. Are you serious? Voters preferred Biden. Uh, prefer Trump over Biden on national security. Maybe because Joe Biden is constantly trying to get us into historic wars. That don't even have anything to do with the current reality. They definitely prefer Trump over Biden to the is on, on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which is 
I think, wild because Trump also bungled that terribly as well. But yeah. I can also see why a candidate who messaged his way in as an, an anti-war candidate, even though he didn't act that way in the slightest, right. and actually did the Sheldon Adelson move of the, you know, the embassy from, uh, yeah, right. you know, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem or whatever, like, yeah. it but still it, seemed like he was more anti-war than Joe Biden. I know. Yeah. How? But still desperately wants to bomb Iran. Of course. They both want to desperately bomb no, around. That's fair. The problem that we have here is there's no alternate. Like, tra- it's like Trump is like less worry than Biden somehow, but like they're both so worried that it's not like you can be like, but Trump wants to bomb Iran. <laughs> right. Biden I know. wants yeah, to bomb Iran. Right. Everyone yeah, wants right, to, like right, they're all right. walking around trying to bomb Iran. Yeah. Um. So Biden's strongest issue was abortion, uh-huh. but he's only up by nine points on that. And then the other issue that he's up on, but by an even slimmer margin, by 3%, is vaguely on his handling of democracy. That's crazy considering that Donald Trump tried to overthrow an election. Well, I agree with you, but I think this goes to the point that we have been sort of attempting to make as Democrats sort of like run on being the saviors of democracy, is that I don't think that this messaging is going to work this election. And it's already, I think, not voters' most important uh, thing. But I think part of the reason why he won in 2020 and why maybe the midterms weren't as awful in 2022 as they could have been is because this sort of like saving the country from whatever fascism and whatever else, like that felt sort of like very real to people. And saving democracy felt sort of like a noble thing that like everybody could sort of like get on board with and be like, I want to do that. But like when your life is shit (laughs) and it seems like everything in the country is burning down around you, saving that doesn't feel so important any longer. Yeah. Wait, saving the status quo is not on anyone's list right now. Saving the democracy for what exactly? Right. Why do I need to do Tell me why I need to do that. No, and especially if that's to keep to keep this going. <laughs> right. That's I mean. And if this is all democracy is offering to us. And again, this is about messaging and how voters feel. This is not about the truth. It doesn't matter if it would actually be better for us to save democracy. It would be. Obviously. Sure. No one's arguing that it wouldn't be. What we are arguing is that if you are feeling hopeless as a voter and you are just receiving messaging and you're not interrogating that messaging because you're just a person trying to get through the day. <laughs> which is like what most voters are, is just a person trying to get through the day, it starts seeming less important to vaguely save democracy if this is what democracy is. Your shitty life with your shitty healthcare debt and, you know, your... Exactly. Like shitty mortgage you can't afford, uh-huh. and your shitty jobs and the student loan that you're about student, to have to start right, repaying the eggs you can't afford. Had four and, years off exactly, right. and like you know the end of the child tax credit that allowed you to like go not, back into poverty. Exactly, <laughs> like the, the 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 this that we're saving becomes a lot less important to you, and that's fair. Completely fair. Voters are making rational choices. They are just not always making informed choices. Sure. You know, but their choices are usually rational as a broad category. Obviously, yeah. individuals don't make rational choices. Individuals are insane. We know that. <laughs> we know that because we know individual people. <laughs> I'm insane. I don't make rational choices individually. But as a collective, the collective me's of the world, we yeah. act in a rational way collectively. And that is, every voter acts in a rational way collectively. That's why I'm saying, like, the... The messaging, the way that we help voters understand the stakes, the way that we help voters understand the solutions, the the intention to actually follow through on those solutions, those are the things that matter more than truth. Like, yep. the, the reality isn't actually 
that relevant, if I'm being honest. No, you're right. Yeah. And I feel right. like Democrats are always trying to argue with you that the reality is X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, who cares? Right. If nobody knows that that's the reality. And you then can't even get it. it's not. And like, I know the reality and I still cannot be convinced that the reality is good at the moment. <laughs> so like, even if even people who, and that's, I think, one thing that has been shocking to me is that a lot of people who normally are trying to tell me what the reality is in this race have been sort of privately confiding in me that they think Biden is too old and they don't like either of these candidates and they're not really sure what to do. Yeah. And I start, I've started hearing that from friends that I have never heard anything like that yeah. from before. And that has been concerning to me. Yeah. I think also him being so old gives people an excuse to say they don't like him when yeah. really it's just because he's an actual piece of shit, but people yeah. don't want to acknowledge that because they voted for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think you're right. I think it sort of gives everyone an out because apparently oh, ageism is something we can all do. He's just too old. Yeah. Right. But he's also the fucking worst. <laughs> right. He's not been a good president. So that has also been the problem with him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because also. But sure. He's too old. I'll let you have it. Like. Right. If he was like knocking it out of the park, no one would be talking about his age at all. Not a one. Not a single person. No. We'd be like, he's so youthful for an 82-year-old. <laughs> really makes you think about how wise 82-year-olds are. Like, we would, there would be a whole other vocabulary we'd be using to talk about him. Yeah, for sure. And that's not me saying that I don't think he's too old, because I actually don't think octogenarians should be the president. I think people who care about the future should be the president. Sure. But my point is, my point stands. It's mine. Oh, boy. Well, we've got the third debate coming up. It's on Wednesday. Right. Uh, Unclear as to who's going to be there for a sort of hilarious reason because we know that Trump isn't. Here's who's qualified Trump, yeah. obviously, he's not going, he's not gone to any of them, he right. doesn't intend doesn't to go. Doesn't care about this. Yeah. Uh, Haley, DeSantis, Christie, Ramaswamy. So those four. And then Tim Scott is claiming that he's made it, but we don't really know whether he has or not. <laughs> because because there, we've talked about the, the threshold to get in, and it's 70,000 donors, and then you have to get like, you know, 4% in either two state polls and then a national poll or two nationals and you can do a combination of polls but the four percent is the kicker essentially right so he has two state polls where he's at four percent and then the campaign claims that he has reached four percent in a national poll it's a secret national poll. <laughs> right it's only they only polled people whether they like tim scott or not. right exactly. and he got exactly four percent right, exactly. uh no but there's this poll that was from yougov slash something i don't know blue yeah. the liberal uh, who knows it's some right. fake it's poll or whatever poll. right and he was at 4% in that, but apparently, like, the screening questions to determine whether people were actually likely primary voters resulted in the survey, including including a large number of Democrats. <laughs> and it's the RNC that is ultimately going to have to decide whether this is one of the polls that they count yeah. or not. Because they have their own qualifications for what a, a qualifying poll yeah. is. And they have not made an official statement yet. So, like, if you Google Tim Scott third Republican debate... All the results are Tim Scott qualifies for a Republican debate, and then it's a statement from the campaign (laughs) (laughs) that that he is qualified. But, like, we don't actually know. So it'll be curious to see whether Tim Scott is there or not and tries to make it onto the stage, and then somebody's just like, actually, sir, no. If they are not complete (laughs) fool idiots, which I realize is not a thing that we can discount, um, they will let him participate because they are running out of people. I know. Well, that's the thing. I, I think, don't think they want to whittle the, field, whittle the field down this quickly. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot of these candidates, probably people like Chris Christie, are probably excited that they are going to get more airtime and they're going to be able to sort of like sell themselves. But I think the winnowing of the field down to like potentially just four of them when Trump isn't there makes it feel far less consequential. Yes. And it already felt inconsequential. Especially it already felt like an undercard right. debate. 
And if one and, of those is Ramaswamy? Right, and now like, it's just sort of like four random people just like shouting at each other for an hour and a half? Tim Scott's a senator. Uh, uh, that, like, like, this no. is going to be four random people, one of whom is just an annoying know-it-all. <laughs> right. One of whom is Chris Christie. Right, who's running so anti He's just going to get booed for an hour He's just going to get booed for an hour and a <laughs> half. And he doesn't care. He loves it. No, he does. One of them is Ron DeSantis, who's like an actual dumb person. Yeah. Like, they're not going to, like, at least, Tim Scott is a real person, at least. I mean, sure. I don't know that he's sort adding of, much yeah. to these debates. He's no, a senator, he's though. The, yeah, he's a senator, right? You know. Nikki, right. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, governors. Yeah. Former governors. Right. At least those are almost real people. Right. I think it just makes You can't it, have a four-person debate, and it's right. Chris Christie, no. who's it just silliness, feels, and Vivek Ramaswamy, get feels, out of here. It feels small. It feels so small. Yeah. It does not feel like a television event. No. And it doesn't feel like anything that has one I of a thing to do with who's going to be the Republican nominee yes, for president. Exactly. It which is like, the only reason that it exists in the world. It's four completely <laughs> random people chatting with each other about politics on Fox News. Right. Oh, it's on NBC. It's on NBC? <laughs> yes. It's like Lester Holt Oh my moderator. God. I know. Wild. In any case, I right. feel like they have to let Tim Scott in. They have to find it in their hearts to make that a real poll. <laughs> and just... And if they if How they can find we... anyone else to be if they can get Doug Burgum back from the dead and just make up a poll for him like whoever they need more people on the stage. How else will we later forget that Tim Scott was there if he's not actually there? Exactly. <laughs> you got to give people something to talk about. <laughs> oh man. Um, well, that Kim Reynolds, the governor of Iowa endorsement, finally came through. We talked about that before. <laughs> that that was Ron DeSantis was really banking on that in mm-hmm. Iowa because they're like old pals. Oh, yeah. And she's going to appear with him tomorrow, and that's coming through. And it really set Trump off. <laughs> In a delightful way. <laughs> I know. Because they, they re- released a statement, or it was on True Social, or maybe they're the same thing. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, that, maybe that's where they make official campaign statements. Right. I don't know. But he said, um, uh, Kim Reynolds has apparently beca- begun her retirement tour early, as she clearly does not have any <laughs> ambition for higher office. <laughs> And then also said, two extremely disloyal people getting together is, however, a very beautiful thing to watch. They can now remain loyal to each other because nobody else wants them. (laughs) He's probably been thinking a lot about loyalty recently. Oh. Oh, I I bet. (laughs) Yeah. Just Uh thinking about some of the thoughts that Donald Trump might be having of late as he watches the Georgia plea deals roll in. Uh, For sure. He looks looks to... I think we're also going to... Find out Sydney how Pollock loyal. And Ellis. I think we're in our next story. We're going to find out how loyal he's going to be to his own children. I That's think. right. My guess is not that loyal to them. <laughs> I know. We're going to find out how loyal, how how important loyalty actually is. To exactly. Him. Yeah. Um, ben Carson, though, staying loyal. God bless him. He endorsed, endorsed Trump this week. Thank in God. In case anybody what a cares, you don't. <laughs> what a relief. The magic hands of Ben Carson endorsing <laughs> Donald Trump. Right. Oh, shit. <laughs> of course, oh, I care about that. God. In any case. It was an exciting legal week for the Trump family because they started to testify in the New York case um, last week. And they're being forced to because I think Ivanka, wasn't she, um, tried to get it, her, she tried to get it delayed and they were like, no man. No, No, New York State is like, you guys will be talking. Yeah. And we'll be mad about it. Yeah. But the Trump sons. Yes. This week both testified. Beavis and Butthead. And it did not go great. Really for either of them, but certainly Eric, Poor it Eric. did not go great for at Of all. course it didn't go well for Eric. <laughs> right. if, any, no. if there was one Trump child who it was not going to go well for, it was Don Jr. <laughs> is at least Donald Trump's favorite, <laughs> right. aside from Ivanka. Yeah. But Eric, nobody cares about Eric. Of course he was going to be hung out to dry. Yeah. And he's also, in addition to being the least favorite child, one of the dumber ones. Yeah. Because what happened was, is that they were asking him whether he knew about any... Uh, first off, everybody's plan is to just throw... Uh, 
everybody else under the bus, yes. obviously, right? Well, that's like the, the Trump family way. The they are they're um, it's uh, the the accountants, you know, yeah. the comptroller. It's it's anybody who had anything to do with Literally, money that like right. wasn't the actual heads of the company, which is the sons, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So they were both getting asked whether they knew about you know these statements of how much Trump is worth, right? That's what's at issue here, basically. That right. he was lying on his all his financial statements about like how much money he had and right. then was using the that famous to Trump money thing to do. Like, right, exactly. And so they all, of course, were like, no, I didn't have anything to do with that. But unfortunately for Eric, he notably did have something to do Very with it. Specifically. And there's a lot of documentation <laughs> that he was presented with in court. <laughs> emails about Previous emails, emails about in-person conversations that had been had with the comptroller about these statements over the span of years, by the way, going back from 2013 all the way up until recently in 2017. Yeah. I mean, they were, he tried to be like, I don't remember any of this. And they were like, sir. Listen, it's in writing. <laughs> One thing that infuriates me about the Trumps is that unlike the actual mob, they aren't smart enough to keep things out of writing. Like, I feel like if you're in the real mob... You don't write this kind of shit down mm. because you're lying and you're committing fraud. <laughs> and if you're the real mob, you're like, let's only commit fraud secretly. Let's right. not openly commit no, fraud. No, I know. Well, and they could have just not they had could... an email chain about his financial. They could have just been have like, he's worth, he's worth $7 trillion. And then they all could have offlined about it and been like, we're just going with this. Yes. But instead, they sent a have bunch of emails a about conference it call. and said, are you good with this? And Eric Trump was like, looks great. <laughs> like... I can't imagine, and I bet that part of the reason that this is all in writing is because Trump himself is paranoid. So this is all on him. Because if you are committing crimes out there in society, and even I know this, you do it on the phone. You don't commit yeah. crimes on paper. You commit them on the phone. Yeah. That's the only way to commit a crime. And you can't even trust that anymore because you can phone calls are always being recorded and a bunch of shit like that. But like, you, you have the best chance of getting away with criming if you don't put anything down on paper and you just... Say it on the phone. It's yeah. why your friend, if they have really great gossip about their boss, does not text you that gossip. They call you. <laughs> right. It's you know, it's it's like yeah, why sure. anyone does anything they do. Yeah. It's why when you're at lunch with a friend and they want to tell you great gossip about their boss, they look around the they room around. to make sure their boss isn't <laughs> That's there. That's right. Uh -huh. It's so that nobody writes down what they said. Yeah. It's to keep everything out of writing. And the problem with being paranoid, and I believe Richard Nixon also discovered this <laughs> himself, one of the Trump idols. Um is that the more paranoid you become, the more documentation you require for everything. Suddenly, mm. everything's on tape and on paper. And right. then you have tapes of you admitting to committing crimes at Bedminster, and you have your son <laughs> signing off on documents about fake you know, financial statements that you're making. I know. Well, and that's what's going to be so fascinating about this, because like... The, the sons were running the company, and they had also been given power of attorney by Trump to basically sign off on things for him. Right. So... Which I think was probably a good thing on Trump's part. I'm curious to Keep know what clean. Well, I'm curious to know what he has actually signed right. because when you know in the story previously when we were talking about um, you know whether people were going to be uh, loyal to each other, <laughs> I think it's going to be very interesting to see when Trump takes the stand, which is happening this week. Yeah, it's happening. In fact, on the day you're listening to this podcast, right? Whether um, what he's going to have to say about his two adult sons. That's right. <laughs> Who I assume were acting in an irrational and chaotic manner yeah. without his knowledge. Because it would not shock me at all if he takes the stand and be like, those two, it was all those two. Bad seeds. <laughs> those two, right, exactly. Uh -huh. I had no idea what was going on. They signed everything. I didn't sign anything. That's right. As you'll see that my signature is not present uh, right. on any of these documents. Uh -huh. And how can I be held responsible for that? Uh, right. These idiot kids. Right. You can't do anything about kids. <laughs> it's also going to be interesting because Trump goes out of his way to not take the stand. 
in oh, I know. legal. And this is a man who loves to sue people. So he's in right. the courts constantly. He also loves to plead the fifth, too. Loves to right? plead the I fifth, I mean, like, yes. did so like 500 times. Oh, like, yeah. In, over the course of all these, he's, every deposition that he's had. And the, the reason he constantly has to plead the fifth is because he says dumb shit all the time. And his, <laughs> he can't be controlled. He's only taken the witness stand um, twice that we know of. One was about a decade ago in a property-related case in Chicago. And he was kind of cranky on the stand and pretty combative. He ultimately did win that case, though. But he has done, I think, more than 100 depositions by his own estimate. Wild. Um, and is often getting into arguments with his questioners during those <laughs> depositions. But he's lost a bunch of those suits. And also, those depositions have been used against him repeatedly. Sure. So it's not a good strategy. But generally, Trump avoids very controlled situations like a courtroom because he obviously can't control his temper. Mm -hmm. He obviously has an exciting mind that sometimes uh, – Gifts him with answers that are not appropriate to the com to the circumstance. Um, so, in general, he declines to appear in front of juries yeah. or in front of judges uh -huh. um, or juries in front of any courtroom people. <laughs> right. yeah. um, so, like you know, he didn't appear in that case related to the Stormy Daniels hush money, the first case, oh, yeah, the, right. um, uh -huh. the Manhattan grand jury. He did not. He did, decided not to be interviewed for the when the special counsel was investigating his campaign's ties to Russia. He did written answers instead. You might remember. Um, and then he initially did not want to even do a deposition for this Tish James case because he didn't want to say how much he was worth. And then he oh, did right. ultimately yes, do yes, a deposition. Yes. This judge is already mad at him. Has already oh, yeah. charged him with contempt, of course, twice. twice. Yeah. And so this and this judge is not taking a bunch of bullshit from him. So uh -huh. not only is this circumstance going to be not ideal for him because of the exciting way that his brain operates, right. but it's not going to be ideal because the judge is like ready to nail this guy. Uh, right. He's seemingly enjoying himself. Yes. <laughs> this judge. He sure is. <laughs> and he's also, I think, I mean, me, I don't know to the ex to what extent the people involved in the New York case are like aware of the example that they're setting for the rest of the country mm. and the rest of these cases. Mm. But like the 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 way that they choose to interact with Trump and the way that they choose to not take his bullshit is like incredibly important yeah. to future cases because it gives He's, everyone kind of cover to do the same in some oh, of these yeah. other cases. It gives Jack Smith cover. It gives Fonnie Willis cover. If, if Kay Cannon wanted cover, which she doesn't, it would give her that cover. Like, <laughs> it, it gives all of these other indictments uh, a little bit more weight. Yeah. And so I think that they really have, like, taken the obligation to be, like, serious with him uh, to heart. And so I'm excited to see how they treat him on the stand. Yeah, it's gonna because be I want this judge to be like, stop talking nonsense, sir. Yeah. <sighs> it's, it's exciting. It's going it to be is. an exciting week for court yeah. cases. Congress is a mess. <laughs> Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson. What a guy. We're going to get specifically like to him as a person in a minute. Right. But they got to actually voting on some things this week. Yeah. And one thing that they voted on was an aid package to Israel for $14.3 yeah. billion, dollars, which is going nowhere fast. It's, well, he <laughs> promised to do the dumbest thing possible, yeah, which is did. to tie Israel aid to cuts. And right, of course, exactly. everyone was like, no, yeah, we all want it. Israel aid. We don't all want cuts. Why are you being dumb? Yeah, exactly. So, and 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 this is, there's a, a, there's a few like larger points that I want to make as part of the story. But one of them, and this isn't surprising to anyone, but like he and the entire Republican Party is like wildly unserious. Yes. <laughs> because besides the fact that this is going nowhere, you know, all of them have been crowing about the deficit. That has supposedly been, you know, Matt Gates and everybody right. else. They've they're all so concerned about the deficit. Well, the cuts that they wanted to make to fund this were to the IRS. And per the discussion that we were talking about 
previously, the reasons that Biden funded the IRS as part of the the IRA, right. the Inflation Reduction Act, that's when they were funded, was because they were going to go after the super rich tax cheats. And that costs a lot of money, right? right. You have to right. fund, you have to have teams of IRS well, agents they, who like they know how involved. to dig into those things. It's a, it's a huge process. But like that was going to make billions of dollars. Yeah. And so after the Republicans passed this bill, which cut that IRS funding, the CBO came out and they were like, that's going to add $27 billion to the deficit. So point one is anytime the Republicans are talking about the national deficit, just remember to yourself, they don't actually care about it. Also, this is why I'm so annoyed with the poor messaging on those IR, um, on those IRS agent oh, I know. funding packages. Right. There because was a we could be savings. telling people that that is going to, that's going to make us money. Yes. And I feel like somehow that message got lost, even though it's it, the whole point of it was to provide savings. Right. It's it's, it's essentially taxing the rich, which yes. everyone wants to do. Exactly. They should have built that as a tax the, the, the rich. Bill. rich but it's like get <laughs> do <out> better. Of here. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, to bring um, it back to that talking point that I'm constantly harping about. Yeah. Continue. But the Senate is like friends. <laughs> We're not right. doing that. No. Biden had already said that he was going to veto it. Now, besides the fact that. It's tied to cuts, which is what people are mad about. The other thing that Democrats are mad about, because of course they are, is what they really want is an Israel package that also has all the money for Ukraine and also a bunch of more money for the fucking border. Obviously. <laughs> so the Democrats are like, don't give us an Indi- uh, 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 an Israel package. Right. Give us a package that funds all of the awful things that right. we can Every think of. Every bad idea that we have, we want in one bill. <laughs> in one bill. Yeah. That's right. And we want it to be much bigger. That's right. <laughs> We want it to be a huge bill that provides no meaningful benefit to any American citizens. <laughs> That's right. And, and we want it now. We want it immediately. <laughs> we want it on the president's desk exactly. tomorrow. Um, so, I don't know. They're obviously going to have to figure that out. The, I mean, Chuck Schumer has already been like, friends, this is, this is not happening. But the other point that I feel like I want to make here is that 12 Democrats voted for this. Yeah. And... A batch of those were some of the Jewish Democrats in the House. And I'm going to allow them to live their I'm life. Not. I get. I mean, I'm sort of not either, but like, <laughs> I'm going to like speak mostly directly to the others. Why I, that, why if you have a large Jewish constituent base, it is complicated. This is a complicated issue for yes. you. Yes. But I just want you to imagine a world where 12, and they were whipped to vote against yeah. us, by the way. So they went against Hakeem Jeffries, the party out. whipped, and there was a clear out. I want you to imagine for a second, 12 lefties, of which I don't even know there are. (laughs) Six lefties. I want you to imagine six lefties (laughs) voting in a block against what they were told to by Hakeem Jeffries. Yeah. Dead in their sleeps. That's right. In their sleeps. (laughs) Dead in their... I mean, quite literally, you know, I mean, like... uh, AOC at one point, and actually it was Israel funding, voted present in some Iron Dome funding right. and got so publicly dressed down by Nancy Pelosi, she cried on the House floor. Yeah. Like, I just, I, I, I yeah, just, I mean. hate that these people have been allowed to do this and there's not going to be any repercussions. Uh, uh, AOC would have, if she had disobeyed, probably would have had uh, whatever, you know, she would have had all of her... Appointments, committee assignments, ta- taken, committee away. assignments taken away. Thank and you, not Sarah, only that, she would have had death threats. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just I, I just want to point out the double standard yeah. of like what moderates are allowed to do when they go against the party and what what the, the squad and others, you know, would happen to them if they chose to do so. Yeah. 
Here's what I think about that. I feel like the reason that that happens is because Democrats work harder to protect people in frontline districts than they do in, like, clear Democratic districts. They would like those Democratic districts to become moderate districts. They don't want to have these lefties there. So it's easy to dress them down, whereas when moderates do this, you know, they can sort of have the cover of being like, well, they have to be Republicans because they're in a conservative (laughs) district, even though they're Democrats. Um, Yeah. So there's a little of that that goes on. But also, our party's rhetoric because the entire nation's rhetoric on this one issue is so deeply reprehensible that they make allowances for deeply conservative incredibly dumb and short-sighted votes on this issue in particular all the time oh because of like because they themselves believe deeply problematic things about the middle east Including that it's okay oh, yeah, to support sure. a genocide, including that it's, you know, that, that there's not, so, you know, including that they're not part of a sort of like deeply uneven uh, conflict. Yeah, right. You know, that it just like they themselves actually are troubled by the fact that they had to vote against this bill, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, they're going to vote for the package when they, it comes right, to them. Right, because they're going to vote for the package when it comes to them. And so they make allowances on this issue for Democrats who would otherwise be quite progressive, maybe, in you know another context, to vote in deeply conservative and problematic ways yeah. because everyone is so deeply conservative on this issue. <laughs> right, yeah. And it's like, have a heart. Vote yeah. peace. Anyway. <laughs> vote peace. That's my new thing. I've been telling that to my mom because we were talking about the Middle East on the phone the other day. And I was just like, I have decided to like fully uh, sort of retreat into a position of pacifism in the like yes. tradition of our forefathers in a way yeah. that I had not previously been involved in. Sure. But I'm now like an active pacifist where yeah. like I now, I, I it was because of a TikTok video I saw from some girl who was yeah, a 20 something yeah. who was like, here's the thing. If you are a world leader and you can't work out your fucking problems, you're immature. You shouldn't you shouldn't get to be in charge of things. So you should just stop. If you can't work it out with words, then you shouldn't even be in charge of anything. And I was like, you know what? That's right. That's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't use your words to work it out, what the hell are you doing leading up? We're paying you to do this? <laughs> right. You can't even work out an issue with if if you can't decide where the border goes, then you know, resign. <laughs> like sorry about it. Like, I don't know. I I'm now I'm now on such a, a, a deep uh pacifistic uh Role, but because of that, I'm becoming even more troubled by Congress. Because <laughs> there is like, there are people in there, I think, who are sort of like ultimately acting in a passive, or, you know, sort of attempting a, a vague messaging pacifism. Like, I think a lot of the left on this issue in particular, they're advocating for a ceasefire. They're not advocating sure. for any one in particular. They're not advocating for everyone's right to inflict violence. They're advocating right. for no one's right to inflict violence. I don't think that they are given the freedom yeah. to necessarily advocate that the way that I would yeah. from their perch in Congress. I wish there somebody I wish... advocating for a ceasefire at minimum. Yes. That's what, well, and that's, I feel like that's where there's kind of like missing courage on this issue yeah. is I feel like we're not starting, we're like starting I mean, the we're bargaining. getting it from Rashida Tlaib, obviously, who's right, the only course. Palestinian but member of Congress. she's being sidelined aggressively. To, uh, yeah. And right. like everyone acts like she's being so un- unreasonable for asking for, you know, us to not just like willy-nilly be like committing acts of violence against each other. I know. Um, Because, and they act like also she's like advocating for the Palestinians' right to commit violence, which is not what she's <laughs> not ever what she said. No. But in any case, but I feel like there is sort of like a, a subset of people in there who are at least sort of talking about ceasefires. 
which is, yes. you know, the, the squad universe right. is talking about a ceasefire. And that's nice because it used to be you couldn't even say you that. You couldn't even do that. But, right, like, of course. Congress is so deeply worry and violent. <laughs> I know. And the yeah. more, th- once I was like, oh, no, I'm, like, a pacifist, I was suddenly like, wait a minute. Yeah. There's, like, no one in there. <laughs> yeah, I know. No one in there is just, like, let's not have violence. No. And the thing about, you know, we've been talking a little bit about the dumbness of the humanitarian pause. But, like, the thing about a humanitarian pause... We haven't talked about it on this podcast. No, we haven't, because we don't talk about... We don't talk about foreign policy anymore on this podcast. (laughs) The only reason I'm bringing this up is because, like with any issue, I I liken it to student loans. If you can have a humanitarian pause for any... For a a week, you can have it forever. Yeah. If you can pause student loans for now, you can pause them forever. Yeah. These are all... It's like we forget that, like, once you've proven you don't have to do the thing for a week, you don't ever have to do it. Yeah. It's, the world's not going to fall apart because no. we stopped committing violence for a week. It's not going to fall apart because we stopped paying our student loans, and we could just stop forever. <laughs> right. Yes. And I feel like, why is no one talking about that? In any case, yeah. side conversation. Let's talk about George Santos. <sighs> Please. <laughs> they tried to expel him this week. Couldn't. Unbelievable. And who... Who we are, have to get a two-thirds majority. Who are the 31 Democrats who voted to keep him in there? American heroes. <laughs> well, that's true. That's who? <laughs> I'm just so curious what their politics on this issue, how they- I don't know. I know why I would vote to keep him. Yeah. And it's for entertainment value. So it's not yes. for any reason that has to do with me doing my job as a congressperson. <laughs> right, no. If you are a person who's doing a job as a congressperson and not mostly a consumer of the news, right. I can't imagine what- I know. Reason you could have. I think there, I think, if I had to guess anyway, I think that there are some concerns that you're kicking people out of Congress who, like, haven't quite yet really, like, they're going through an ethics process, right? Right, right. right. Like, officially in the House. He's not been convicted of anything yet. I mean, he's been charged with everything, and it's all most certainly true. Right. (laughs) But, like, so I think the idea is sort of, like, we Should we be, be doing this? Right. Fair enough. Um, also, though, counterpoint, he's <laughs> he's like openly lied about so many things that are provable oh, that it, I don't think that a, yeah, a no, court process is necessary. No, I mean, here. I agree with you. Like, I feel like there should be a line where yeah. if you're like openly lying about reality, yeah. um, then, and also, this they don't have to kick him out and have the reasoning be that, you know, he was uh, stealing credit card information, you know, some of the things he's actually been indicted for. Like, those cases should continue on their own. Right, right, They could right. just kick him out for being a deeply unserious person. <laughs> I know. Like, I know. <laughs> we right. have to have room for common sense. That's what I think uh, they're trying to avoid. Because <laughs> there's a lot of deeply there's unserious lot of deeply people unserious, there. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got a text from his Democratic opponent this week oh. trying to get me to give her money. Absolutely and first not. off, all, I'm stopping to quit everything. everything. Yes. As if, you have to. Right. Exactly. I, and not only am I stopping to quit any text message I get, I'm stopping to quit any person who tells me their opinions on elections. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> because I feel like a lot of people are out here trying to convince me to do one thing or the other, and I'm, you've, you're barking up the wrong tree. That's right. Uh, I've stopped I, to quit permanently. <laughs> right. Uh, but, like, certainly not to remove George Santos from office. <laughs> He's the only thing we've got going right He's now. the only thing we have. Yeah. Let's focus on other seats with And I guarantee you, in that district... She's probably awful. That of Democrat. Course. Of she course. Of course. Of course she she's awful. No, there's <clears throat> no way. What we maybe get out of that district is like a Joe Manchin-esque, you know, yeah. obnoxious conservative Democrat. Right. Like that might be something we could pull off. Yeah. But to give up George Santos for that? For that? No, thank you. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> not on my watch. <laughs> and let's talk about Mike Johnson. This is the weirdest story. This is such a weird story. story. The weirdest story. 
we keep thinking that the weirdest story about him is already broken because you know he's a fake son his yeah. wife uh you know his, Tom, his yeah. wife's comparing you know homosexuality to bestiality right. was a weird thing uh-huh. her being on her knees and praying in right, such a way weeks. that she wasn't able to come to watch him get she's sworn got in. That um, was weird. she's got that christian baby voice she the does, christian yes. women do yeah like the subservient mm-hmm. uh you know like the duggar voice yes the duggar, yes michelle yeah. duggar uh-huh yeah yeah do i remember the <laughs> get a grip outrageous questions <laughs> yeah she's got that voice yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but we learned this week that he doesn't have any reported assets. Like, like none, zero. What? Yeah. What is he? Where? Where's his money? And the, <laughs> the and they don't have to have that much to have to report it. No. He has had zero in all of his official reporting since 2017 when he came to the house. And they to require uh, they be listed. You only have to have over a thousand dollars. Require listings of accounts holding over $1,000, and they don't require uh, members to report assets if the total of all accounts is less than $5,000. Right. So, like, any account over $5,000, if they equal $5,000, right. you have to report. But if it's all under five, So we're to believe that he has no accounts over $1,000 that equal $5,000. Yeah. This is a man whose salary is $174,000. His wife owns a Christian counseling <laughs> business. And also, I think... They own multiple own, homes. They own multiple homes. And I think, like, you know, more importantly, like, he was presumably a high-paid lawyer because, like, he was working, like, for For all of these well-funded right-wing organizations, and he was sort of, like, their lead lawyer on all of these things. So, like, there's no way he wasn't being paid very well there. But, yeah, they have, you know, they have a home in a place where the medium home lists for $417,000. Also, their home back in Louisiana I, I think is... Oh, no, that's no, they, in Louisiana. That's, that is the Louisiana. They have a home in right. D.C. where in, the median home, home is probably a zillion dollars. A zillion dollars, right. And but they, they do disclose a mortgage between $250,000 and $500,000 a month. So clearly their mortgage payment is more than $1,000 yeah. a month. Are they so like not is, covered for more than one month if they... Right. Where are they keeping the money? Where's the money? Where's the money? Because they have the money. somewhere. If you believe that he doesn't have more than $5,000... You're wrong. You're wrong. You're incorrect. So, so where is it? <laughs> that's... And I have no been, retirement savings, right? And he theoretically tapped out his, uh, you know, his one reported IRA account. Oh yeah, in two thousand seven, in the first disclosure, he had tapped into an uh, IRA er, for early withdrawal for ten thousand dollars, and but then on the next financial disclosure, that IRA was gone. So are we to believe he only had ten thousand dollars in an investment or in a retirement account, and then he tapped that out? We are not to believe that. We are not to believe that. There's no way. We are to believe that there's shenanigans going on here. Shenanigans. And I've heard some fun theories on the internet. There's some more, there's some theories. Well, you know what? All of these theories are dumb. So in a lot of senses, there's something amiss here. Yeah. I feel like I heard a theory on the internet that all of it had gone into some sort of like nonprofit church foundation that's fake. Sure. He's basically storing his money in a tax-free right. haven. Um, yep. So he's probably a man who's not paying taxes. He's definitely a man who's not paying taxes. Yeah. If, because there's no way he doesn't have investments. No. Like, 100%. Get out of here. Yeah. And there's also no way that he doesn't have retirement accounts when he was in the private sector. Right. For years. Yeah. Like, where, where's the money? <laughs> right. Um, there's a few ways. There's some theories. Yeah. That he could get around this. I like the theories about it being hidden somewhere nefarious. Obviously. But just. Also, that's th- obviously the right That's theory. obviously what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the ways that you could get around it is that, like, so you only have, like we said, you only have to report the accounts that have over $1,000 if they get up to $5,000. So he could have a million dollars and that could be $1 in 1 million accounts. Right. 
And then he would never have to report. That would be that. an insane way to keep your money, though. <laughs> it would, obviously. That's crazy. I <laughs> That's, mean, we're just like telling you right, the just, specifics right, the of like, the things that you could you do. Get around. Right. He could also, the, the reporting deadline every year is May 15th. So he could just make sure that all of those accounts are tapped out on May 15th, wait until the reporting deadline has passed, and then put everything back into the but accounts. where is he keeping it from right. on May 15th? Well, and that, that's the other theory, is that, like, is he literally a crazy enough person that it could just all be in cash? And this is the thing that, this is the thing that you hear, you know, crazy Christians doing. They're just keeping gold bars and they're doing whatever else because they don't trust the banking system or, you know, it's the not reason that I know because this it's is not, not run by Jesus himself or, you know, whatever. I mean, The reason like, I know this is not true is because this man is in Congress. So I know that he has yeah. dealings with CEOs and other, oh, you know, wealthy people. So I know he knows oh, about yeah. investing. No, I, that's why I'm like, that. I, the, the reason that I think we took you through all of yes. those is to show you that none of those three things are happening. Yeah. So there has to be There's a different thing happening. excuse. And I want, I mean, it's got to be, the answer is going to be terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also. Oh, but we're going to find out. But we're going to find out. Somebody's going to figure out where the money is. Someone's going to figure out where the money is. And that is why Mike Johnson should not have volunteered himself for this position. No. Because the fact that they had to go with someone who was this poorly vetted. Because this is fucking suspicious. Super suspicious. And I feel like this is suspicious enough that somebody, even in the Republican conference where everyone's being dumb at the moment, could have been like, you know what? Mike, where's your money? We all have it. (laughs) Right, I know. Like, we all know that we have it. Yeah. There's no world in which you don't have any cash. And those financial disclosures could have been looked at by anybody. Anybody. Can can be looked at by anybody. That's why we know. They're disclosures. They're public. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But, like, why? I, why? I know. What's the benefit of this? Well, I know. And is Jesus storing his money himself? I don't, I don't know. I I just, it's, it's gotta be something. It's fishy. There's something fishy. I like the theory that it's... Also, he has four kids. Right. How is he paying what for the kids? What if someone needs braces? Right. Well, that doesn't count the the fake adult child. I, right. Yeah, he's four... Right. So he has five, he has I guess, maybe. Five theoretical four and a half children. children. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. But what if one of the actual kids needs braces or something? Yeah. One of the kids he raised and did not pretend to yeah. adopt. I know. Like, I, I mean, there's no world in which he's operating without savings. We know no. that. There's no world in which he doesn't have assets that would put well, him... He's good. His take-home pay is like $10,000 a month. Yeah. Like after taxes. Like right. he is getting that much money like Is he spending that to month. the penny? No, no. He's not. There's no way. And I think that you're supposed to report debts too, aren't you, on this? Probably. Oh, yeah. I think you are, right? Because he had to report his mortgage. So yeah. like if he was also deeply in like credit card debt or consumer debt of some sort, like yeah. that would be information. I know. So like, where's his money? Where's the money? I mean, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> what a I question know. to have to answer. I know. <laughs> yeah. Whoo, buddy. Um, in final news, Marjorie Taylor Greene had her greatest moment <laughs> of uh, oratory <laughs> this week yeah. when she referred. She, this is like a real Trumpian nickname. It is. Where she referred to Lauren Boebert as vaping, groping Lauren Boebert. <laughs> I love that they are feuding. It's so good. It's one I of know. the things that brings the most joy to my life. Because yeah. when the two of them weren't feuding, it felt like they could work together to be evil. Yeah. And now I just feel like let them expend all of that craziness tearing each other down. So good. It's, I know. And also, why do they both keep doing such crazy stuff? Like they're giving each other so much ammunition for I know. this feud. It's, I know. It's really a joy to watch. Oh, man. Um, that's the news this week. If you find out where Mike, uh, where Mike's money is, <laughs> right. Mike, 
If you if you locate Mike Johnson's bank accounts somewhere in your own bank or your own personal finances or yeah. I don't know where they could your church wherever they are, uh, yeah, give us a call. We're, oh man, it's gonna be so good. It's gonna be so good because he's find out. I gotta be rich. He's definitely rich. He's a rich. There's millions of dollars tucked away. Yes, somewhere. somewhere evil. Yeah. Somewhere that's illegal. I bet. Yeah. And if it's not illegal, it's you know common sense wrong. Yes. Like, if it's not technically illegal, it's a loophole that is the exact reason we needed to hire more IRS agents. Yeah. And he, this is, there's one thing we know for sure now, which is that this is a man who's not paying his taxes. A hundred percent. We now know he's committing tax fraud. And that's very exciting information for us yeah. to have. Um, yeah. So that's the news this week. We'll talk Bye. to you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>